good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Raise the Bar. I'm here with CM Monteleone. She's checking into my waiting room and we are going to talk. There she is. I can't see. Hold on. I'm missing my, I don't know where it is. Can you see me? I can see you. I can okay, see I can't me on my screen. find the browser where I see the camera. <laughs> I have. Well, nobody's going to want to see me. They're going to want to see you, but they don't, <laughs> they don't want to see me. I've got a face made for radio is what they say. <laughs> I, I can't see you, so I can't tell, <laughs> but I don't believe you. I have. Um, a... Okay. I'm going to exit and come back in because okay. I can't the link. Okay. No worries. I'll be. <laughs> or actually, you know what? I can't exit because I don't know where the thing is. Oh, there you are. Okay, I just opened it again. Hi, aloha. Aloha. <laughs> and where where are you located again? Uh, I'm in sun sunny Southern California, though. Not too sunny today. Oh, I'm in Santa Monica. Wonderful. Yeah. Santa and Monica. Oh, that's great. Where are you in Hawaii? Which part of Hawaii? Maui. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, um. I'm I'm I was I was in the middle of doing my intro. So um good afternoon and welcome yeah, sorry to the bar. My name is Troy Haynes. I'm your host. This is the Sky High and Fly Jump Camps podcast. And our special guest today is CM Monteleon is and it's Cynthia, right? Is that that's is, correct? You can call me Cynthia. Cynthia, okay. And um she is I was looking at your you got a very unique bio. You're the the world four hundred meter champion at which is just over 40 is that the whole 10 years or is it a goes go year by year uh, yeah, was, masters yeah so i'm uh i won the last world championship so i was 43 mm -hmm. um and so it was the 40 to 45 40 to 44 age group and then i am now in the 45 to 49 age group um and i chose not to run the 400 this year which we can get into but okay. uh, yeah so I, uh, I was the world champion at 43 from 40 to 44 age group. Wow. And still, yeah, still up in the world rankings, but I've changed my, just changed my training a little bit this year and changed my goals, okay. uh, which we can get into. Yeah. <laughs> which is awesome. probably how we came to be today, actually. Yeah. Changed, well, changed what I was doing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so let's go farther back. Your, your immediate background is world champion, but I, most people don't end up as world champions overnight. So what did you do um, prior? Did you do, did you do track and field in high school and college and all that? Yeah. So um, you're right. My story is unique because when I did sex, uh, when I did win the world championship gold medal, I actually ran faster in my 400 meters than I did as a division one athlete in college. Wow. Which is not usual. It's yeah. not usually possible. And I was told by many people it would be impossible. Um, so how did I get to that point? Well, I ran at uh, UNC Wilmington, Division One, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. And okay. I ran the 400 and the 200 mostly, but I was thrown into a four by one and of course, four by four. Um, and uh, yeah, I was actually, I think my specialty was the 500 meters indoor. Okay. Uh, I was all East Coast in that. And uh, then after college, you know, I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to go down the career path. And I had a family, I have three children. And when I turned 40, my daughter, who was 11 at the time, said to me, uh, mom, I want to run track in college like you did. And I said, oh, okay, like, well, let's get out on the track and see what we can do. So we went up to the local track and we ran one 400 meters just to have a starting point as fast as we could. and. Um, we crawled across the finish line at a minute and 30 seconds ish right. <laughs> the hardest 400 meters of my life right i felt like uh, my bones were aching <laughs> i had just weaned my third child so i was definitely wow. carrying uh, an extra 20 pounds or so right um yeah and so we started from there at age 40 so that was only seven years ago and it took me only three years to um to achieve my goal of winning the world championship and uh, yeah, so that's like a little bit of the fast forward. And uh -huh. um, however, uh, I did high jump in high school. I didn't do it in college. So right. I calculated, I was counting the years and it it has been 25 years since I've wow. high jumped. 
25 years. 25 yeah, years. I was 17, 17 the last time I, I jumped. So that's 25 years. So have you been, have you been trying 20 it? 20 years, 20 years, 20 yeah. years. Yeah. Have you been trying <laughs> it recently, getting back in the group? Have you gone back to jumping yet? Yes. So what happened was um, I achieved that goal of becoming world champion in the 400 meters. Um, and uh, I decided that I did, you know, to achieve that level of, um, of, you know, like getting to that level, I guess you'd say of achievement, you have to really commit a lot of time. And okay. uh, I felt like I had done that for so many years that I was wanted to do a little less and give more to my family and more to my work and that sort of thing. So I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to honor that time commitment and that intensity uh, this past year. And so my coach said, why don't you try multi-events? Um, I think you could really be really good at multi-events. And of course, that takes even more time. So I don't know what <laughs> right. I was thinking. <laughs> I was just but maybe, <laughs> but, but maybe less intensity on my part because I was just learning everything. So I, it's right. not as serious to me, right? I was just doing it for fun, not for a medal. Um, right. as, in fact, I joked, I'm going to go to the world championships not to win a medal <laughs> right. this time. Um, so yeah, so I ended up, uh, I high jumped for really like the first time uh, maybe like six months ago, Okay. about six months ago. And I wow. pulled this out from the storage shed and I pulled them onto the, the turf, you know, um, because I wasn't allowed to set them up. It was football season. So I wasn't allowed to set them up over <laughs> by the football field. So I would pull two mats in and out of the storage shed with my daughter um, and put them on the turf and just take some short approach jumps with flats to start and you know of course do some warm-ups and right. uh, drills first that sort of thing but what I found is that high jump is so much fun isn't it yeah <laughs> I remember that from high school I had the best mm -hmm. time doing high jump in high school and I, I unfortunately uh, I had to do my best jumps after the four by four at the end of the meet right that's how Always I happens was. so I would run the four by one I'd run the 400, then the 200, then the four by four, and then I would be taking my best jumps. Yeah. So, um, and I was a consistent uh, five three high jumper That's in high school. Pretty good. That's pretty good. That would get yeah. you to out uh, here. Is usually CIF finals, and every once in a while you'll get to the the state kind of a qualifying meet, but it, it usually takes like five four, five five, somewhere in there to get all the way to state, yeah. depending on the year. You know, some years are better than others. Right. But that's definitely. I, I grew up in New York, mm -hmm. and New York was, of course, extremely competitive. Yeah. So I ran, um, I ran a fifty-seven in my four hundred in high school, which also, as a master's athlete, is my time. Uh -huh. Um. So I ran a fifty-seven, and then that got me to states. Oh, you know why? Because it wasn't a standard. It was if you won your section. Right. So I was in section nine. So I was always section nine champion. Um. And. Once I lined up though against those girls from the city, from New York City, like man, they blew everybody out of the water. Like there was no way I was making the final in New York. Right. And um, and then same for high jump. So I did make it to states, uh, uh -huh. but I didn't, you know, I I didn't place yeah. or anything like that because New York is as California is extremely. I think New York, California, and Texas, right, are very yeah. competitive for track. Very competitive. Yeah. Um, Louisiana is, you know, because you've got any of the SEC schools that are really strong from LSU. Uh, Arkansas, Texas again, yeah, Texas Tech, Texas A and M, yeah, Texas. Period. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, Texas. Period. Right. There's a lot of degree. schools there. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're pretty loaded up. And now that Texas is going to join the SEC, I think that's going to make both football and track even more intense than it already is in the SEC. It's kind of the hotbed of uh, track and field here in the U.S. So CM, that's you 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 got um sorry I didn't mean to cut you off um oh and you know what i just calculated yeah. in my head it's 30 years it's actually 17 to 47 that's 30 <laughs> right. years that i did i'm 30. like what am i thinking 30 I years thinking? even yeah. more so 30 years no high jump <laughs> that's amazing so um yeah. i i like the way you're talking about coming back gradually so you, you ran a minute and a half in your first 400 i'm wondering what what was it the thought process that went through your head going I think I got this because 130, like you said, was was killing you, right? That was like wasn't happening. So when did the light switch on where you thought you could could be world champ in the 400? 
Well, I actually didn't believe it, um, but my coach, my current coach, was not he was not my coach. Um, he, he saw me run at a local meet, and uh, he's a local coach, but he's also coached Olympians and that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. now he coaches locally. He has a local running company. They put on marathons and different things. Um, okay. He actually sent me a text, and he said, I think that you can be world champion in the 400. And I thought, I was like, I texted back, are you drunk? <laughs> I thought maybe he had a couple Sunday beers and he's right. just off his rocker. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm not drunk. I really think so. And I said, uh, well, if you think so, then I think so. If you believe it, I'll believe it. And that's right. where we started. So wow. we started working together and I was running. Uh, well, after it was actually a year that I ran on my own. And that was really a very hard year. And I got down from a minute and 30, let's see, 40. And then at the end, like about a year and a half after I very that very first one, I got down to 61 seconds on my own through mm -hmm. what I had started learning. Right. Um, and then he got me from 61 to 58 in a matter of three months. Wow. Um, and, you know, of course, also with lifestyle changes and things like that. Right. But he's... I. I praise him. He's a great coach. He's also the one that's talking me into this multi-event thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, because uh, I told him I'm, kind of, you know, I kind of need a new goal. It's been a while with the 400, and and I need something, something more. I, I am a dopamine dominant athlete, uh, uh -huh. so you can actually check your neurotransmitter profile by going going to uh, this website called Braverman.com, BravermanTest.com. Uh -huh. And this doctor has composed this test that you answer all these questions, and it's it's very accurate. And it tells you what neurotransmitters you're dominant in and what you're recessive in. Really? So uh, generally, I've been a dopamine dominant athlete, which means I need a lot of challenge and a lot of change. So as a strength coach, if I have a dopamine dominant athlete, I would be changing their routine quite frequently, sometimes even within the, uh, in, in the routine. So if, for instance, if we're doing an upper body day, we're doing a lot of different things. Um, or if we're doing a cycle, it's got to change every two to three weeks because right. otherwise the dopamine dominant athlete will, will plateau. Now, if you're an acetylcholine dominant athlete, for instance, you're like a workhorse pulling the sleigh. You're fine with the same thing over and over. You're just right. going to keep challenging yourself through increasing the weight or something like that. Right. So, um, because I'm a dopamine dominant athlete and like way up there. <laughs> I yeah. always need change and change. So it, is, in my life, I have that all the time. And uh, as an athlete, I, I seek that. That's, that is so amazing, Cynthia. I, I'm, you know, I pride myself on knowing a lot about a lot. And I, that's the first time I, I do happen to know what dopamine and, and acetylcholine are. Um, I, I took psychobiology when I was at UCLA way long ago, before when you learned how to high jump. And um, it was a, uh, uh, I took, it was neurotransmitters. It was all about that. So we were learning, you know, um, how different ones affected different things. Um, you know, the, the different deals with like Parkinson's disease and like you're saying, you know, these, uh, all right, the things about reacting at certain sites. Right. And I mean, it was fascinating stuff. It was, it was psychobio. So we were looking at the psychology of the brain as it was, influenced by the neurotransmitters right so whatever whatever was in the brain but i didn't i haven't know obviously it's come a long way since 1980 whatever when i was an undergrad to now i'm sure they've done nothing but research those things more so well, i can uh, tell you that i only have heard of this or learned of it through my mentor which was charles Polican. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the one that came up with it and or i don't know if he came up with it he's the one that that studied it extensively and um of course dr braverman and um, and he's the one that used it. And he actually had a class and it's called uh, Neurotransmitter uh, Profiles for Athletes. So basically he would teach you how to train different neurotransmitter profiles for different athletes. Okay. Uh, neurotransmitter program design, I think it was called. So I had never heard of it before then and nor have I heard of it since outside of that circle. Wow. I believe that the people that took over Pol the Polican group they still offer, I think, that class. And also then there, it's it's kind of a long story, but it's fractioned off into Strength Sensei, which is Charles's daughter and I think ex-wife. And, and then the other ex-wife has the other group. So anyway, they're kind of, <laughs> they both offer some sort of, I believe, neurotransmitter profile um, wow. program. Yeah. That's, 
That's it's so interesting because I've just this last year I I started writing programs professionally. You know, I've I've been doing it quote unquote unprofessionally as a coach for a long time. I haven't been getting paid for it and other than the fact that I was getting paid to coach my athletes. But now I've I've reached out into that that realm and you know doing 12 week training programs with you know three and four different mini phases, you know, and and that kind of thing. And it's funny that you talk about that because I I'll tell anyone that asks me because I'm a I'm kind of an Instagram junkie. When I go when I'm looking at my feed, I'm constantly seeing other athletes like yourself. I'm seeing trainers. I'm seeing coaches. I'm seeing, you know, whatever it is that I'm seeing, I'm kind of created that whole kind of a network. You know, it is jumper oriented, but not always a lot of fast twitch stuff, you know, agility. So all of a sudden I'm seeing a lot of soccer agilities and, you know, uh, fast twitch. So a lot of sprint, explosive training, all that kind of stuff. And um, when I, when I see something that I know is good, I stick it in a folder. And so I've got these extensive folders of like seven different lifts and, you know, auxiliary lifts and different types of training and on and on. So I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe my brain is a dopamine one because I get bored if I do the same thing more than a couple of weeks. I don't remember that in my own training because it's been quite a while since I pushed myself in any kind of training like that. But I do remember getting bored. Uh pretty quickly. So I'm curious. Now you got me curious. Yeah, one, yeah I, I would love to see you take the Braverman test and uh, let me know what you score. Because I, I think I would guess that it would be dopamine. Dominant. Hmm. Um, and yeah. with the nature of dopamine, sometimes you can actually be dopamine deficient too, because the more you use the dopamine, sometimes right. you become deficient in it because of the nature of dopamine. Um, my last time I took it, because you really should only take it once, but it's been so many years since I took it the first time, I don't remember any of the questions. Right. Um, so I took it again recently, and the first time I was dopamine dominant, dopamine deficient. And this time I was dopamine dominant with a little bit closer score to acetylcholine, um, and then I was GABA deficient, which totally makes sense because I could definitely have a hard time relaxing. <laughs> uh, but the best athletes, the bottom line is the best athletes that we have, especially in track and field, are dopamine dominant and acetylcholine dominant. So if you take that test or anybody out there listening takes that test and they come up GABA dominant, then you're, you got some work to do if you're going to be uh, setting some, you know, achieving your goals in athletics. So you want to be dopamine or acetylcholine dominant. So actually, if you, they measured the levels of the top track athletes, there's research out there and they were all dopamine dominant. Wow. So now you got to, you got to go back because I, I know that I'm a little bit lost and I'm willing to bet um, my listeners, if, unless they have a, a background in, in the stuff that you're talking about might be a little lost too. So um, you were, when I saw your profile, um, explain to me again, because, you know, I was, I was pretty much in, once you sent it to me, I was like, I'm going to let her go through this because I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't quite understand exactly what it is that we're talking about, but like right on yours, uh, sprinter, author, 47 year old mom of three, Team USA, world 400 meter, world champion, world 40 meter or 40, 400. And then analytics Maui, metabolic analytic Maui. Why is this shutting off on me? Um, not that I need it. That is so interesting. Um, so what is that exactly? Like uh, kind of a, give us a big picture before we get into the because I really am curious about the small picture too, but. Yeah, so uh, metabolic analytics is uh, the certification that I received from my mentor, Charles, Charles Paul and Finnegan. Mm -hmm. um, and I was lucky enough to actually, if you knew Charles, he could be very abrasive to a lot of people. So luckily for me, he took a liking to me and he took me under his wing and I got to study with him personally. Um, and I was in communication with him quite fre frequently. Um, and he worked with the world's best athletes. And so um, metabolic analytics was his program that basically takes everything from lifestyle to nutrition to supplements, and it shapes your environment through that. So it's like epigenetics. Epigenetics is when you take your genetics that you're given and you change the expression of it. So a lot of people are under the false assumption that you're handed this set of genes that's your that that's your your plan, right? That's the only thing that you have. So if you're 
overweight, you say, okay, well, my mother is over, or father is overweight. So I have genetically I'm overweight and they, right. they just kind of give up. Um, or they, you know, they say, I, there's nothing I can do. I've tried, um, fasting. I've tried vegan. I've tried paleo. I've tried everything to lose my lower body size or whatever, like particularly right. women, and there's nothing I can do. And so what I come in and do is I do two things. One, I, I do it over the phone, which uh, is a, is probably about 90% accurate. Um, or I do it in person where I measure 14 different places of where you store your body fat. And that is based in Chinese medicine, actually. Right. Uh, Charles developed this program. And where you store your body fat and the measurement and the ratio between those measurements tells me how your organs are functioning, uh, how your hormone balance is, what nutrients you might be deficient in. Um, if you're a male, I can tell if you take test, if you're making good testosterone, and then I can tell if you're converting it via aromatase, which is an enzyme to estrogen. So sometimes men are still making great testosterone, but they're converting it to estrogen through environmental changes. Right. What would those changes be? Things like zinc deficiency, um, fragrances or chemicals will change men's testosterone to estrogen. Um, wow. The telltale sign for that is the man boob. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I can I can just like you know like tell by looking or just pinching with my finger, not even necessarily calipers. I can tell if a man is aromatizing or not, and you can change that through different foods and through zinc particularly. Huh. Wow. So that's, so I hope that like gives a better picture yeah. of what I do. That's a and huge it's, it's amount accurate. of stuff. Like I can tell you it works a hundred percent of the time. So for instance, the woman who has a lot of things going on in the lower legs, if she holds a lot of fat in her calf, she has liver problems, knees and calf tell me about toxicity. Mm -hmm. So in the particular, the calf and the back of the arm, is like an estrogen liver clogging thing. So maybe genetically they have this um, mutation where their parents also have it or maybe not, but we can control that through supporting the liver. So maybe they've tried every diet out there right. and they can't figure out why they can't lose the weight. And it's because they actually just need liver support. So that's where I step in. And, and so a lot of times people are like, what's your protocol? I'm like, I can't give you a protocol because it's different for everyone. It right. would be different for you than that person that has, you know, uh, excess fat in their calf muscle or outside their calf muscle. So, so would this be where we're always trying to do this here on raise the bar. And, um, if you're just joining us at the halfway point, which I don't know how you would be on a podcast, but this is raise the bar. I'm your host, Troy Haynes, uh, the sky high and fly jump cams podcast. And we're speaking with the 47 year old world champion in the 400 meters. Cynthia Monteleone, and she's telling us all about um, this uh, metabolic analytics Maui that you're doing. And um, my first thought was, how does that apply? Not, I'm, I'm sure overall health, We, I, I don't know which way you look at it. Would you want to get overall healthy and then start training? Or do you just start training to become overall healthy or whatever? But my brain was taking it to training. So when you were saying that, you know, dopamine, all the top athletes are dopamine dominant. And then, you know, there's another type you said that they do have the acetylcholine and they can still be workhorses and do well. But you, were, you kind of drew a distinction between the two, like one was higher than the other. And then my question mm -hmm. is, if I don't have that, how do I change it? And if I do have the dopamine thing, how does that affect my training? And the other thing we were talking about, because that's just the neurotransmitter end, but you mentioned neurotransmitters, supplements, and I'm assuming your diet comes in there as well, right? So we're... Yeah, We're just I, can opening actually give you, I can give your listeners uh, some tips on that, actually. Um, so in order to increase your dopamine, there are a few things that you can do. Um, one is not consume sugary foods, particularly in the morning. Why? Because when you consume, like, say, cereal or even oatmeal, anything with a, a higher sugar content or higher carbohydrate content that converts to the sugar, you're going on this roller coaster up. And your dopamine actually, and your serotonin, uh, it all like gets really happy and you get like this rush of it and then you crash and then it pulls it away. So eventually over time, it actually makes you deficient, almost like a drug. So you've heard probably, oh, sugar is just like a drug. It affects the brain the same way. Right. Um, this is what they're talking about. 
So what happens with sugar is this, it's the similar to taking drugs, which also increases your dopamine tremendously. Um, so you get this hit and you get this high, but then you need more to achieve that again. So what you wanna do is actually kind of reserve that by eating a higher protein, higher fat meal first thing in the morning, particularly. So what Charles found was that when, what you eat first in the morning dictates your neurotransmitter profile for the whole rest of the day. Wow. So even in research in people that, for instance, they did a, a study on factory workers, if they eat, ate a protein rich meal first and low sugar, even if they ate a carbohydrate meal second, they still had more work production throughout the day through the neurotransmitters, dopamine and acetylcholine. Right. So that high protein, high fat breakfast, um, and the, you know, in my opinion, in my research, the best breakfast you can have is red meat because that's the one that increases overall your acetylcholine and dopamine. You can get acetylcholine from nuts, um, choline rich nuts. You can also get it from eggs, but the tends to not, you'd have to eat a lot of eggs to get the protein content you need. And then if you eat too many eggs, it becomes inflammatory. Um, it's one of the top five food allergens in the country. Wow. Um, so yeah, so if you eat eggs every day, you're going to end up getting uh, some rashes on your skin. You're going to get more susceptible to hives. Um, what else have I seen? Oh, I've seen it held in the chin and the cheeks. So okay. if I get a client with like chipmunk cheeks, but they yeah. look sort of pretty fit everywhere else, I'm all like, you eat eggs every day, don't you? And they're like, how do you know? Like, I can tell by your chipmunk cheeks. Wow. This is actually just inflammation. It's inflammation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically, you can change to the dopamine. Uh, you know, profile more likely by eating that high protein, high fat breakfast, dopamine, silicone, kind of cutting the sugar. And then there's also another strategy and that's limiting screen time. Because every time you have a, an internal reaction to a post or, and it could be a good reaction, but if you have that reaction too frequently throughout the day, if you keep checking it throughout the day, that actually keeps spiking your dopamine. And then you're going to become dopamine deficient because you need that, that spike again. So, so you're using I using it up all day long. Working. Is that the idea? You're, you're using it What's up that? all day long. And then when you really, yes. it's not there. Is that the idea? Okay. Yes. And actually one time I, I was on this airplane uh, coming back from a meet and I sat, you know, I was making friends with the person next to me and it was a high school principal and he was coming back from a, a national conference on dopamine depletion in high school students wow. because of their screen time. What are the odds? Yeah, it was, yeah. this was years, this was like four years ago. So mm -hmm. I, I couldn't believe that at that point, you know, he knew exactly what I was talking about with screen time because I, I said, oh, I, I'm just getting back on my uh, social media after a, a week of not being on it is what I was telling him because right, right. before a, a big competition, I, I shut out social media, I didn't even yeah. look at it. Um, so uh, world championships this time was a different story because I, you know, I was going not to win a medal. So, right. um, so uh, that is the other way. So I would recommend batching your social media time to checking it, uh, maybe, you know, if you're an all day scroller, try to limit it to three times a day to start and then twice a day. And then if you can get to it once a day and take one day off completely per week, maybe that's a Sunday or something like that, yeah. where you don't even open it. You can actually, a lot of people will pick up their phones and they'll, uh, they're so like addicted to it. They'll just automatically click on their social media tab there, their app. And what I recommend for my clients to do, and I do it myself sometimes too, is I move it, I hide it in different folders. Right. And I change that every couple of months so that I don't just like subconsciously. It's harder to get to. Yeah. 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 So those are ways you can increase your dopamine and become a better performer. So how does that translate to my, my next question was, you know, knowing this world of science that, that you and I live in. Um, I was a an undergraduate degree in kinesiology, and then I've got a, a master's degree in exercise science. So, um, you know, I have studied a lot of these things that we're talking about. So I'm not like a, a total beginner, um, you know, understanding the way the Krebs cycle works and, you know, different parts of a little bit of metabolism and, you know, how that metabolism relates to how much effort you're putting out. For instance, like um, this great professor that I had at, at Cal State Long Beach, uh, Dr. Rosinick, he taught us the premise of the class was, you know, the, the world record in the hundred meters is 9.5, whatever by Usain Bolt. And he said, now 
if you were to take that time and you know transpose it and expand it all the way out to the marathon he goes somebody could run the marathon you know the 24 or 26 miles in you know if you do the math what about 40 seconds a lap or four is a, a mile so you figure that's it would be a well under a minute you know well under four minute miles although and the math was incredible right when he when he extrapolated it out you're like wow that's really really fast so he goes and his question was well why can't we why can't we operate like that you know at full blast on and on and on well any any of you don't know anything about, about metabolism you go well, don't your muscles start to burn and ache and all that stuff it's like yes yes they do and there's all these byproducts of metabolism of how fast you're working versus how slow right i mean if you want to jog the marathon you can do that and you don't get that same burn because you're not you're not creating lactic acid and and if you are creating it you're taking a slow enough pace where you can actually get rid of it right along the way instead of having it pile up to where the bear jumps in your back after you know two miles and you're done you know run into the ground so my brain wants to take that and run it all over everything which i'm sure you know you now in your uh pursuit of the you know uh, heptathlon or decathlon whichever one are they gonna are you gonna do the seven event the hep at the world level yeah i just did a, my first pentathlon at worlds um i came in sixth so i greatly misunderstood all of the point scoring and, and yeah i was very confused because i'm new to it but i mean i coach it i mean i put well in high school we don't have it so i coach high school and then I, of course one you know one of my best clients is uh annie Kuntz, who's the national champion um two years ago in olympian tokyo olympian in the heptathlon right. so she loves to help me with it but um but yeah i guess i like i'm so new to it that i don't know the ins and outs too well of which events tend to be more higher point scoring compared to others right. anyway so uh i am on the fence of trying the heptathlon this summer because my coach once again says to me i think you can break the american record and I'm like, oh, come right. on, coach. Like, I'm trying to take a break here, right. <laughs> give my family some more time. Uh, right. So I'm on the fence about it. But in the meantime, I obviously still train for my health and lifestyle. And I find that 400 meter and multi-event training really covers all the bases for um, optimal health and wellness as we age. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to get back to what you were talking about with the um, lactic acid. Mm -hmm. And how we, you know, why can't we do that? Um, so, you know, I, I was just thinking about the 800 meter training in the multi-events. Yes. So for instance, uh, the bear might jump on somebody's back way earlier in a marathon, even if they're jogging, they might have to walk because they're not in shape, right? They don't, they haven't adapted their body to that right. lactate. And what they're finding now is that it's actually not lactic acid buildup that's happening, that's causing the fatigue. The lactic acid is there next to whatever, they don't even know what's causing the fatigue right now. If you look at the recent research, they're saying something's causing the fatigue, we're just gonna call it fatigue. And the lactic acid is building up so that it feeds where the um, ATP can't feed anymore. It's like trying to give you more energy. So like the lactic acid is not actually the culprit and you can't really get rid of it. That's not what's, you're trying to get rid of the fatigue. So it's just a really interesting point that they're kind of like, researching right now they're changing the research on that however whatever is building up that fatigue you have to adapt your body to it right and so 400 meter training of course is like one of the prime ways to do that um you just keep you're keeping your speed and your power but you're increasing that speed endurance so i i think the 400 is unique in that it encompasses it's really the only event besides maybe the men's 800 that encompasses or elite maybe women's 800 um encompasses the ATP power phase, the, uh, the lactate phase, and then the endurance phase, just a little bit, depending right. on how you run 400. Um, so I think when you train and eat to adapt to that, then you have a better chance of getting closer to this. I think one, one really impressive athlete, I, I'm not a big fan of endurance training for aging. However, um, I've become uh, a guest and friends with Zach Bitter, who runs the 100 100 uh is it 100 miles yeah he runs a 100 mile race he's wow. done it on he's got the world record in the 100 mile on the track and the 100 mile uh, i think outside yeah off the track trail 
But imagine running 100 miles around a track. It took him like 12 hours or something like this. <laughs> but his splits, I just w- looked at his training splits for something like, I think it was like 30 miles. I might be wrong, but they were all like six minute miles. <laughs> like, I can't even run a six minute mile, know, maybe, right? maybe once, you know? Right. Right. That is impressive to keep that speed for that long, yeah. but he trains for it. But the interesting thing about Zach is that he's not a carbohydrate-based athlete like a lot of marathon runners. He is uh-huh. a fat-based athlete because fat will actually give you more energy yeah. for longer. Yeah. And so what endurance athletes are finding is that they're doing better and their metabolism is doing better. But they're having longer energy with this high-fat diet. So he's he really is like a, a ketogenic type athlete mm-hmm. and doing these world records at these incredible distances and meanwhile we fast forward to you know marathons we see still the antiquated jars of candy and pasta yeah. parties and right. I, I i'm here to tell your listeners and anyone else that that is not the way to go for longevity so even mm-hmm. my olympians in their 20s i do not have them consume large amounts large amounts of sugar and i change them from carbohydrate adapted athletes to protein fat adapted athletes because mm-hmm. their um their potential then is through the roof from making that change. Yeah. Uh, just think just think of carbohydrate based as that roller coaster. You eat that sugar or that high carb meal and then you crash and yeah. then you need to refuel. So you're always seeing the carbohydrate based athletes with their gel packs or with their granola bars and that sort of thing. Um, meanwhile, right. my heptathlete is you know there with her steak in between and protein shakes in between events, just killing it. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and having the corresponding lean muscle mass that comes from not holding the fat because she's using the fat for fuel. I hope right. that makes sense. Um, and I think it's a, it's a misconception that you cannot be a, like, everyone says, oh, okay, but if you're a sprinter or a jumper, you need the carbohydrates because that's the fastest way to get the energy. And I can tell you that not only is that not true, but that rumor needs to just go away because there have been research studies that have shown that gymnasts, for instance, do not lose power um, on a ketogenic or carnivore-based diet. And in fact, they end up with better better body compositions for that power. Right. So um, yeah, we're all different. We're all different body types. But if anyone asks me what my experience is, I will tell them that um, you can still be a sprinter jumper and be high protein, fat adapted, and have better chance of not getting an illness, uh, a carbohydrate-based metabolic illness as you age. Right. Well, I remember one of the first things when I was uh, just getting out of high school, going into college at UCLA, and the reason that I chose the kinesiology major was that I wanted to go to the Olympics in the high jump, and I wanted to do everything that I could. I learned about biomechanics. I learned about you know every last thing that, that I could get taught. And in there, uh, took some nutrition classes, which weren't quite as good. They weren't quite as focused, maybe as what I was looking for, you know, there in the undergrad department. But you know, everything that goes through the medical school there is pretty good because it's UCLA Medicine. But it's like, anyway, all of those things, you know, looking for that. And I remember one of the first books that I read was the, um, oh God, my mom gave it to me. It was it was about I think it was from a tennis guy but he was one of the first guys that championed the high carbohydrate diet it was like hey this is the way to go you got to have high carbs you know uh, carbo loading that's all we heard about was carbo loading carbo loading carbo loading so it was like you know and we used to do that when i was at ucla we did you know pizza and we ate salads and you know i was in that i was in the weight room and training hard and doing all that stuff and you know i didn't i don't know any better or worse for that through all this time. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I have seen those phases come and go. Like now you're talking about, you know, there's, there's keto this, and there's, you know, um, paleo this, and then there's, you know, the, the high protein diet. I had a, a good friend of mine who was 220, 225 dropped down to like 165 eating, you know, the high protein and all that. And I just watched weight melt off of him, you know, and I was like, wow. So it's amazing what we're learning about this stuff, but I, I keep thinking, you know, again, are, is there a way with what you're doing to profile, not just the, the neurotransmitter types, but also the body type, 
and the event type, right? What are the, de the metabolic demands of the event? What are the, you know, the, you've, you've got your differences between males and females. You've got your age ranges, right? You've got your ethnicities, like how, how deep does it go? How, how, you know, how involved do you get? Ooh, you, you actually hit the nail on the head because it is, it's not that simple. Um, for instance, Charles had a hockey player who he was trying to get to be leaner and it turned out that he was Inuit. So he got lean off of a high fat diet. So whereas somebody else from, say, um, the islands like Jamaica, Grenada, those clients do better with more carbohydrates. And, um, of course, Asians can tolerate more, a little bit more grains and carbohydrates because that's what they're, they've been used to genetically being able to digest. But if you look at those cultures, they're actually pairing it with a lot of um, probiotics as well. Mm -hmm. um, so if they're doing it without pairing it with the microflora enriching foods, then it doesn't really work out. They end up over generations getting fatter. Um, so it's very, very complicated and, and um, intricate. But I take, that's why I say I can't just give a protocol. Like I can give probably a foundational protocol that would probably help maybe 80% of people. Right. Um, but to get down to, you know, I also have Lyndon Victor is one of my athletes. He's a decathlete, decathlete from Grenada. Um, totally different from Annie, who is, you know, she's blonde uh, from Germanic backgrounds. Lyndon is, you know, from, from Grenada. He's does much better with more carbohydrates, um, for instance. Uh, and he has different nutrition needs and supplement needs than Annie does. Mm -hmm. um, they're both doing similar events. Of course, Lyndon does a decathlon, so more events, but similar, right? Because he's a male, he can handle that extra workload. Um, but yeah, he's the discus world record holder in the decathlon. Wow. Um, for instance. Uh, he was a two-time Commonwealth Gold champion, and I think he came in around fifth, I think fifth in Worlds in the last Worlds, okay. uh, or sorry, the Olympics or the Worlds. Uh, and he's around that, but he's got the, the potential to win, of course, which is right. why I'm a big fan and, and uh, helping him with his metabolics. But um, so, yeah, there are certain people who are more carbohydrate adapted, but the types and the quality of the carbs matter. So they shouldn't be eating Pop-Tarts um, right. and things like that. When you say right, like, oh, of course, everybody knows that. However, I Not did everybody. have a, an Olympic Olympian who went to Penn State. And on our first call, he said, you know, I'm not that smart about nutrition. However, I knew something was wrong when the head of our uh, nutrition department, who oversees all of the nutrition education. So if you're going to become a nutritionist through Penn State, you go through this program. Um, she's the head nutritionist. And then she was also the head nutritionist for all the athletes. She was on the board for Kellogg's. Kellogg's was funding the nutrition program. And yeah. she was telling the athletes they need Pop-Tarts and they need Gatorade because <laughs> they need sugar. Athletes need sugar was the mantra. Right. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, so it's not just a conspiracy theory around right. this. So I'm curious when you went to UCLA, I'd be curious to look back and see who was, who was funding the nutrition program then. Right. Right. It could be Nestle. Who knows? Who knows? So so we have to like take into account who unfortunately who's funding who's the research. Because yeah. even my Olympic like people at the Olympic Training Center are telling me like the nutritionists are pushing Powerade slushies on us, which, you know, to me, I would never have my athletes take anything artificial. Like they are not consuming yeah. artificial colors or flavors or anything because right. they're after that, you know that tiny bit of uh, edge that they can get on their competition matters. Right. So Absolutely. I also don't take clients from, uh, like I've had a lot of heptath Olympian heptathletes or aspiring Olympians reach out to me wanting to work with me and I won't take them. So I will not take another decathlete. I will not take another heptathlete. I won't take anyone that is the competition of my client because there are a lot of different little yeah. uh, tricks that I teach them that gives them that tiny edge. And those little tiny edges really mount up to a bigger edge. Right. And it, that's why they're winning. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, that, that concept is lost on a lot of Americans because I think, you know, uh, everything's just, well, I read this study and I'm always like, well, who's funding the study? You know, like you got to beware what they tell you at the end, especially when it's like buy this product. That's, that's pretty hilarious that, uh, you know, at a high end school, Penn State, which was linebacker U in football and really good volleyball and other sports like everything else in the Big Ten, 
that to have that, I would just, I would just start busting out laughing, but I mean, you know, you get it because it's like, I don't want to say that, you know, it's a corporate sellout, (laughs) but you know, you also, I guess you got to dance with who brung you, you know, if they, if they're paying you a bunch of money to, you know, take care of stuff, you're going to be like, well, I guess you probably become good at rationalization, right? It's like, well, they do need sugar and this does have a lot of sugar in it. So (laughs) here you go. That's just crazy though. Oh my gosh. Well, it sounds crazy, Troy, but if you start looking at like popular nutrition accounts, if I find one on Instagram, I'll send it your way. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's like, there'll be like an account called like wrestling nutritionist or speed nutritionist or something like that. That'll be the account name. Um, or whatever dietitian. So these registered dietitians and these nutritionists, um, I'm finding the trend is that they're anti, um, you know, these type of paleo carnivore keto blend diets because they're saying they're too restrictive and they're going to cause eating disorders. And they're all being fed the same lines. I mean, again, not to be conspiracy theorists sounding, but almost like the media when they all come out with the same story because they're all fed the same story through the Associated Press or something like that. So right. all, all the different news stations are saying the same thing. I'm finding that coming out of these top nutrition programs, they're all saying the same thing. They're saying, um, eat sugar if you want to. If you want to eat Pop-Tarts or cookies, eat them if you want to. There's nothing wrong with it. All in moderation. Um, you need a lot of fiber. Um, and also um, plant-based is healthier. And also, um, if you if you do any of these uh, paleo or carnivore type things, you know, which are just labels really for high protein, um, if you do that sort of thing, then it's too restrictive and it's going to promote eating disorders. So we don't want you to do that. I'm finding that those things are very uh, common in the mantras of these accounts, and it, it's shocking. It's yeah. really shocking to me because what I'm finding is that when the athletes are frustrated because they have hormone imbalances. Um, or they have, um, you know, like bacterial infections that come out, like staph and all kinds of weird yeah. things that that happen to them. When I when I, they're like, well, I'm doing everything the nutritionists are telling me to do. Yeah. And then they reach out to me because they're like, well, she's saying something a little different. You know, maybe I'll ask and try this. And then they're they're thriving. And to me, like that's just the, the greatest reward of my job is just when someone's you know comes out healthier and happier. Right. Um, but it's just a great disservice to our athletes, especially the, the young ones in their 20s who are listening to this information and thinking that it's okay. And when it's being taught by this higher program, who's just really being funded, it's just, it's really sad. And I can tell you um, one case in that is um, Maggie Malone is one of my clients. She uh, set the American record in the javelin a couple of years ago. It, it was mm-hmm. broken again last year, but she's after the world record now. She's on, right. she's on fire right now. Um, and Maggie couldn't even like get out of bed when she contacted me, she was stuck in bed and she was an Olympian who couldn't train because she had this autoimmune condition and she, none of the doctors could give her an answer. They just all would give her medication. And so again, like nothing against Western medicine, we need it. However, the preventative, preventative root cause approach, which I believe in um, it's more Eastern medicine oriented, but that is what I do. So I said, well, let's try to find out what's causing this instead of just, you know, right. taking this medication, which is making you sicker, honestly. Yeah. Um, so did that. And she, like I said, a year later, she set the American record and, wow. uh, went back to the Olympics again. And she's, yeah, and she's like totally on fire right now. I can't wait to see her this season. Um, so yeah. And, you know, obviously javelin, that's a power a power oh, yeah. sport as well. Well, the event um, only so, lasts yeah. 10 seconds tops, you know, and that's yeah. with that's with that javelin flying through the air time. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was thinking, as you just said that, because I've, I've gone down that road a few times, I, you would probably, you know, listen to the story and know exactly what was happening with me. But, you know, I was training athletes, coaching, I work as a teacher during the day, and I coach and train after that. And very little time, you know, if I was going to lift weights, I've got to lift weights in the morning, generally before I even get started, or it's not going to get done. And I went through a period where I just wasn't getting it done. I was too busy. And so 
call it an excuse, call it what, you know, whatever rationalization it was. It was just like, I was so busy. I was forgetting to work out basically because I don't mind getting and doing stuff. And I would still do stuff with the kids. You know, I would, I would demonstrate, you know, a short two or three step and a jump or something like that. Or I would start running around in a circle and show them how to lean or whatever, but I, I wasn't warming up. I wasn't stretching. Right. And so I went through this thing and all of a sudden one day I go, you know, I'm just going to start jogging to warm up. I'll do a couple laps because they were all over there listening to the head coach. And I was, I knew I had a few minutes to kill. So I go, I'll jog a couple laps. And I took like four steps jogging and it felt like somebody was sticking a knife through my ribs into my lungs. Like I was like, what the heck is that? And I stopped and I'm like, I kind of twist a little bit. And I'm like, try to crack that, you know, and I start jogging again, same thing, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, what is going on? And I couldn't jog more than 50 feet. I mean, I could. I could make myself do it, but it was painful. So I ended up uh, fortunately meeting one of the persons on staff, former student of mine who now works at the school, had had a bunch of problems. And she said, you got to see Dr. Tommy. So I go see, and, and Dr. Tommy, if you happen to be listening, this is a shameless plug for Dr. Tommy Yashta. But I went to him and he was like, you know, all PT, but there was also, um, he had a guy on his staff that would do the thing like you would, he would hold out a supplement. And you do that thing where you hold it with your arm and your arm goes up or down, you know, depending. I have yeah, no idea a, how that reflex. Yeah. I don't know what it's going on that's with that. But, it, you yeah. know, we started talking like about, voodoo, isn't it? right. I have no idea how it works, but he's talking about supplements and, um, you know, these different uh, blood types. They asked me what my blood type was. You know, I happen to be a positive, which is pretty rare. And, you know, according to what your blood type is, there's different things that you're, become allergic you were talking about you know allergens with eggs and stuff like that and I know for a fact I'm not supposed to eat tomatoes and stuff like that as much as I like them <laughs> so uh, sometimes I just ignore it and I eat it and I I probably pay for it still but um it's just all these other layers you know my brain just keeps you know I we've opened up Pandora's box and things are flying out you know so it's like well wait what about blood type what about what about the type of event? What about, you know, <laughs> this and this is like, you're, you're got so many things to think about. And my brain immediately went to, like you said, Hey, how can, how can this help the people that I'm training? You know, how can we get uh, a profile done? And because I know American kids are the worst, gosh, they eat terrible. <laughs> I watch them every day. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. You know? Yeah. And- I, I find my high school athletes, the biggest problem I have with them is that they don't eat. And mm-hmm. then in our local community, there's a lot of uh, junk food. So um, what my hu- my husband's been a wrestling coach for high school for 25 years. Mm-hmm. So he's been at it with this particular type of group of kids longer than I have. And what we've found is that um, if we can just make a small difference in one kid's life, just not only for their performance again, but yes, their performance is better, but for their lifestyle. So for instance, I had a wrestler a couple of years ago who went, you know, was a state finalist. Um, So he came to us for training. I did his strength coaching and I did his nutrition. And now he teaches others what I've taught him about healthy eating, clean eating. So the the little things that we can do are like, yeah, eat, you know, eat clean meals throughout the day. Don't skip. Um, And maybe try to cut out the artificial ingredients and the processed foods to start. Um, because that will just eating, you know, whole foods will make a big difference in the kid's life. Um, a lot of times parents are busy, they give their kids some money and they, I mean, for high schoolers and they go to the local gas station or something and pick up junk food. So if we can just make an impact in that area, we help them a lot. And then they actually end up teaching their families and then their families become healthier. Um, but what he actually brought a, a group of uh, exceptional wrestlers to um, some national competitions last summer and they all needed to cut weight because it was like after high school wrestling season they had had a couple month break and they weren't really quite on their weight and right. instead of doing it the old-fashioned unhealthy way which was to put the trash bags on and run it off like you know my husband is not about that he's he knows just as much as I do now because I've taught him so much and he had all those kids he he went and cooked all of their meals. They stayed at a a house and there were like, you know, 15 wrestlers, maybe even 20. And he cooked all their meals and they all made weight by the end of the week, 
just by eating clean and eating high protein, high fat, because they're yeah. usually, you know, eating junk food and carbohydrates and candy and all that stuff. Right, he actually right. found a fashion of candy and had to take it away. But, <laughs> um, but just by, you know, some of them lost 11, 12 pounds in one week wow. just by eating clean. And they had the energy because they weren't fasting. So the old fashioned wrestling way is you don't eat and you put on the trash bag and run. Yeah. And that's very unhealthy and it's not sustainable. And then they're just going to end up with this yo-yo weight. So what we try to teach, especially these wrestlers are, you know, is, again, something that they're going to carry with them throughout their lifestyle. Um, and I'm proud to say we had the number one female wrestler in the nation. I did her strength coaching and nutrition. He, of course, did her wrestling coaching. She actually lived with us for two years. I made all of her meals. Uh -huh. uh, Nenea Estrella, she was one of the first girls last year to be signed to Iowa, which is the first division one program. But she won the Tricia Saunders Award, which is the best high school wrestler in the nation out of all the age, the, the weight classes and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we, we are proud of those athletes when they listen to us and they execute what we're telling them. And yeah. Um, but again, it's more, Troy, it's more than the events or the, you know, eating for performance. That's, that's part of it that comes, but it's really eating so that you don't get diseases, that you don't get Alzheimer's. You know, right. Alzheimer's, they call it, you know, type three diabetes for a reason. Yeah. Because all those Pop-Tarts are not doing you any favors in right. uh, the plaque buildup and, sure. you know, all the genetic mutations that come along with eating that much sugar. So, um, yeah, just making that, those small changes, I find really makes a difference. Um, yeah. And wow. even as we age, so like my um, one more story, in, in case you're interested, last year, my friend Emma, who I run master's track with, she contacted me because she was having some really severe menopause symptoms. She's 54 now, so she was 53 at the time. And she really wanted to, uh, you know, compete well at Worlds last summer for outdoor and also indoor this past um, March. And so um, she said, I just, I'm just like, I'm not sleeping. I'm having these hot flashes. I feel fatigue, all this stuff. And she was not able to really get her training in the way she wanted to. Right. Um, so I basically went through the whole consultation on the phone with her, identified which supplements she needed to support her. And um, she ended up breaking the world record or the world or national, definitely the national record. She has all the national records in the 400 and the 200. She runs a 26.0 200. She's 54. Wow. Um, and she, and she ran a, uh, uh, 60 flats in her 400 indoors last month. Um, and she ran 60 flat outdoors last summer as well. But the main thing is that she feels great. <laughs> so when yeah. people reach out to her and they say like, Emma, what are you taking? You know, she said, well, I can tell you what I'm taking, but it's for me and it's for my health. Like that's what happened. I reached out right. to Cynthia because I'm not feeling well. Um, but that's, you know, that's really what, what I angle towards is quality of life besides athletic performance. And then all the medals come with it. She won, she won outdoor, all three events, hundred, 200, 400. Um, and she's at the top of her age group, mind you. And yeah. so then we also won indoor. She won the 60, she won the 200 and the, wait, the 400 and she came in second in the 200. So it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then my other client, Sue this past worlds, um, she was vegetarian for seven years and she started eating meat a few months ago to set some world records. So right. she's 60, set the 800 meter world record and the 1500 meter world record at the world championship. So mm -hmm. like, you know, I see me smiling if you see me on camera because that's what brings me joy. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, me winning the gold medal, that was fun too. But when other people thrive and they're healthy and happy, like that's what really brings me joy. Wow, that's amazing. Um, Cynthia, I have like 45,000 other questions, <laughs> but we don't have the time. We're going to have to, we're going to have to have you back on. Um, and uh, if there's anything I can do for you as you're uh, stepping back into the realm of the high jump, you just let me know. Um, I'm happy to. Oh, you know what? I am very I found you. I found you on Instagram because you, one of your things came up in my feed. Um, and I am just really appreciative to your work because I have actually, I, even though I've done high jump for so, you know, so long ago and was successful and I'm fairly, you know, fairly successful coming back to it after only six months, not, not as successful as I want to be, of course, um, right. I'm finding where I'm lacking in my jumps. I ha do have a couple of coaches that I work with, but, 
um, you know, they tell me, okay, like you need, uh, you're not getting the lean away from the bar, right? right? So then I see your account and I see, oh, okay, I can do this drill and that drill and this technique to try to get that lean or practice that lean, even the circles. Like I think mm -hmm. you had a post recently about doing the circles. And yeah. I was like, man, that's so simple. And I'm not doing, I mean, I'm doing a version of that in my drills some here and there, but I'm not just running those circles and feeling that. Um, so I'm just so thankful for your account oh. and <laughs> your posts and everything, because that actually has helped me. Um, I came in, I think, I don't know if I mentioned, I came in fifth at Worlds in my debut in high jump. Wow. Um, no, you didn't. Which I'm pleased yeah. with in the world. And, which I'm pleased with, because I know I have the potential to do even better. Right. Um, uh, I'm a, I can clear five feet with my back but I hit it with my legs on the way down. So I know I've got all kinds of timing issues and approach issues and uh, <laughs> I don't pop my hips. You know, right. I, I can tell you all the things I don't do. Um, right. So I really, I would love to um, revisit and, you know, work with you a little bit and revisit this and see, can I hit that five foot mark, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. that would bring you up to two with the number of master's clients I have. I have a, a, a young man named Jim Baker who, uh, Dr. Jim, if you're listening, he's uh, out in um, New York. He's 70 years old and he wants to break the world record for 70. And uh, he's a, a hospice oh, hospice Ooh. doctor. Yeah. And uh, this guy is ready, fire, aim, Dr. Jim. man. he just, he came out the first day to see me. He says, yeah, my knee's been bugging me a little bit. So I said, why don't you kind of walk, jog, you know, stay on the grass, maybe do side skip backwards. And he just takes off like a bolt out of the blue and starts jumping up and down out of the air. You know, <laughs> that was nothing what I told him to do. He's like, <laughs> he goes full speed. Like, like I said, ready, fire, aim. He doesn't, he doesn't really figure out what's going to happen before he goes. Um, when you see on his account, he's like a rock climber and he's, he's like, um, part it. of uh, his, his mindset because he's a hospice doctor. So he's, I guess through his professions, you know, he's, He's hanging around people that are getting ready to, you know, finish. And um, he's just kind of going the other way, kind of like the bucket list every day. <laughs> like he's just going for it, you know. And so, um, so yeah. That's inspirational. <laughs> right? And yeah, so we're we're trying to stay in touch. He's all the way in New York, but uh, he's so busy. He's I thought I was busy. And I know you're busy, but um, well, listen, CM, we're going to do this again soon because I'm not only have a lot of questions, but I do want to ask them. And um, uh, I know Barbara uh, Bachaka, my my strong right arm, she's a number one uh, women's high jumper in Canada. And she helps me with this account in numerous ways. Um, she'll take the the Zoom call that we're, you know, copying right now. And uh, she's going to um, take it and put it into, uh, you know, on Instagram for us. Um, not Instagram, sorry. She's going to take the the Zoom call that I put on YouTube and take the audio and turn it into the podcast. So, um, but she's a nutritionist. Her dad and mom are both, you know, licensed. And, you know, I, I know there's all kinds of different things and different directions you can go. So, um, but it's been on on my need to talk about list for quite a while. Um, the other end that, that she's also interested in all of the athletes are is the sports psychology. So, um, that's also, and interestingly enough, I'm well, sure. I can tell you really quick. I know, I, I know you probably want to wrap it up, but uh, the type of food that you're eating and your neurotransmitter profile directly influences how you're feeling about the, the competition. Right. So I have been able to control anxiety in my athletes by increasing the fats and the B12 right because that is what puts the myelin sheath on your nerves. Right. Okay. So yeah. Well, that, yeah. I'm just thinking, that, you know, your, your, uh, you know, nutrition stuff has to have an effect on, you're talking about neurotransmitters and that has an effect on the brain and how we think. So yeah, they got to be locked in step. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, you reached back out to me really quickly and we got this to going together and, uh, I can't, I, this is like all of them. I wish I had the time to sit down and, and listen to them again, but this is, I'm going to be listening to this again myself because you dropped a lot of names and a lot of facts in there. Um, for the, the listeners that are interested, um, take, take a second and shamelessly plug for yourself. How do they get, 
in touch with you if they want to do anything along the lines of what you're doing for for work. Yeah, um, so I I post a lot of free information on my Instagram pretty regularly. Uh, you know, the other day, what I use for my skincare, you know, right. that sort of thing. Um, and that's at fast over 40, the number 40. I also have a book that I wrote. If somebody wants kind of the summary of my teachings, it's very, it's a very short book. Um, it's almost like a manual. It's uh, there's some sprint workouts in there as well, as well as a mm -hmm. dynamic workout for sprinting, um, which you can also use for jumping. And so um, that's also called Fast Over 40. It's on my website, mam808.com um, or on Amazon. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, just my website has other supplements. I have like categories of supplements. If you're, you know, there's a skincare one, there's like a, uh, you know, male support one, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so if anyone's interested in exploring my website, there's plenty on there. I do offer coaching, strength coaching and sprint coaching. However, I'm full right now with clients, but you can always just put your name on the list if you need to. Right. Um, I have zero time, but I love my work. And so I make time. And that's why I made time for this today as well, because I love to be able to share my message with others and try to inspire them to just, you know, not give up that you every day you have a chance to be a new person by your choices, because every choice that you make changes your genetic expression. So even my 80 year old parents um, changed what they were doing and are better than ever because of it. Well, yeah, I, I think doing that profile, that sounds like I'm sure most of us are sitting there. I, I'm, I was immediately curious, you know, what am I going to test out to be like? And then, you know, how, how do you use that to go to how do we fix, <laughs> fix the numerous things wrong with cocaine? So um, we'll, we'll be getting on that for sure. Well, CM, Cynthia. God bless you. Uh, keep keep working hard, and it just sounds like you're doing nothing but great stuff. Everybody's flocking to your under your banner <laughs> and learning. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Just happy to help others. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, we'll talk soon for sure. Thanks for for coming on the show today. Okay. Thank you. Nice to All see right. you. Nice to see you too. Bye bye.